Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Hello. I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Amy. Um, public speaking. <laughs> Seinfeld does a little snippet on that some people fear death more than, I mean, fear, fear public speaking more than death itself. And today, I will admit that I hoped for just a small catastrophe that would take me out just for a day. <laughs> and here I am. Um, and, you know, contrary to my dream last night, I am just happy that I showed up here with all my clothes on, which was a bit of a nightmare last night. Um, but as I shared uh, this week with a friend about some of my anxiety about speaking, you know, she said that truth does not need to be rehearsed. And I, I, I took comfort in that because I do have a story and I do know the truth. And I said to a friend... Uh, this week I had read something, and I had read this particular article probably ten times, and she asked me a question about it, and I could, I, it was as if I had never read the article. And I said to her, I said, I, I truly, I think I have a learning disability. And she, <laughs> she laughed, and she said, well, when you put it that way, uh, <laughs> it's hard to argue. And so I did bring note cards, not because I'm going to forget my story, but because my recall is just uh, not stellar. So I have my little note cards. Um, again, I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I uh, came into these rooms about two years ago. It will be two years ago in July that I came into these rooms. And what I heard when I came into these rooms was that food was not their problem. What did I hear? Food was not the problem. It was their solution. And, you know, I thought that food was my solution to my problems. And... Um, the, the big book says that liquor was but a symptom, and food was but a symptom of a bigger issue. And I started thinking about when I, and what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, tell you about what it was like before I came into these rooms, what happened to get me here, and what it's been like since I've been here. And, and what happened was, like I said, I came into these rooms two years ago, and with the, the first meetings I heard was that it was just a symptom of a bigger problem. And the first time that I recall using food as a, a way to comfort myself was when I was six. And before I was six, I, I have a sister that's three years older than I, and I have a mom and a dad. And they were married. And when I was six, my mom decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. And it devastated my father, and it devastated my sister and I. And that was the first, like I'd had things come up before I was six, um, but nothing really that I felt the need to comfort myself. Um, but, but when my mom got divorced, that, that's my first recollection of taking food and throwing it at what I felt. And so my sister and I lived with my mom, and we, we, we moved probably 300 miles away from my dad and moved two blocks away and I have 40 minutes so I can, I'm going to tell you what street we lived on <laughs> um, as a side note one of my first OA meetings that I led I had 10 to 15 minutes 
in three minutes I was done. <laughs> and, and the secretary said, oh, you'll do better next time. You will. Oh. And, and he meant it in the, you know, the most kind of thing. I'm like, you fat heavy, come on. <laughs> um, can't say that. Uh, so uh, I was living at home. Obviously, I was six, so I was living at home. <laughs> and my mom was having a really hard time. And I don't want to besmirch her. I don't want to tell her story rather than my story. But at six years old, her story really was my story. And she had, between the time that I was six and 11, she had, um, she tried to take her life twice. And she was institutionalized in a mental institution a number of times. A couple of times that I know of, and there were some questionable pneumonia treatments that looked a whole lot <laughs> suspect. And so, obviously, I mean, the ground is level because now, more than anything, I am aware, abundantly aware of my shortcomings. And so it was clear that my mom had was struggling, and she had a nine- and a six-year-old to contend with. And But in our home, there was darkness and sadness and grief and despair, and I did not know what to do with that. And my sister and my mom liked, liked to sleep in. And so, uh, and I wanted to be outside playing. And so they would get, I couldn't do that until one of them was awake. And so they would say, that my mom said, you can get up and you can get yourself breakfast and you can watch TV until one of us gets up. And so I remember that I would wake up and I would go to the living room and I would get not a bowl of cereal, but I would get a bowl of milk and a box of cereal and I would make sure the toaster was ready and the box of Pop-Tarts and I would put Popeye on I would sit two feet from the TV probably because we didn't have remotes but I wanted to take my and it worked and it worked and it was my survival my survival skill and you know part of me thinks it, it, it was a saving grace at that point it was what I found it was what I found and so I it really did bring me comfort, and I would, uh, and I would check out. And in, one of the interesting things is that my grandparents, as I mentioned, lived two blocks away. And in my grandparents' home, there was food was abundant. My grandma loved to cook. There was always something on the stove. And my sister and I went to my grandparents' house before school and after school. And then we would all meet there at the end of the day when my mom got home from work. We would have dinner, and then we would go home. And I have zero recollection of using food in my grandparents' house as a form of comfort. And that is just so telling that um, because that was a safe place for me. I did not need food. I had my grandparents, and they cared for me, and they loved me like a six-year-old should be cared for and loved. And, but at home, it wasn't that way. And so I adopted this. And it worked. It worked. And so then at any th anything that would um, come up that brought me pain, anything that was uncomfortable or um, brought me sadness, I uh, threw food at it. And it worked through um, anything. My mom was divorced. She got married again. It was a very abusive relationship. And so that darkness continued. And um, so I kept using food and uh, I graduated from Popeye to some other things as I got older but it was the same solution and then in junior high I began to have my own issues they weren't my mom's issues anymore they were mine and 
through probably what we've all been through, junior high, the pleasantries of junior high, and dating and not dating, and I'm going fast, and if I go at this pace, you guys are going to have to ask me like 40 questions. (laughs) So for whatever came up, um, high school, uh, again, the dating, the not dating, not knowing what was right, trying to fit in, um, drugs and alcohol came into the the, uh, equation, and... Outside issues. I'm never really clear on what outside issues are. So, uh, I mean, I can give it. So, anyway, so I was introduced to drugs and alcohol, and I found that if I did all three of those things, if I did food, drugs, and alcohol, then it really checked me out. But food was always my love. And uh, so I made it through high school, continued to throw food at it, and... I'm 46, so I, I kept doing that for a very long time, and and I did probably what we what some of us have done was I went up in my weight and I went down in my weight, up and down, up and down. And when I was down, I was happy about um, being thinner. I was happy physically, but I was not happy emotionally or physically. And I I sent the, the pictures around. Um, you know, this program, which I love, is about physical, spiritual, and emotional sanity. And I have pictures of physical recovery. I don't have pictures of emotional or mental, but I'm hoping that'll... <laughs> I'm communicating some of that now. Um, and so I got to a point where... I was just miserable. And in 2012, I'm going to watch my time. Oh, I have lots of it. Um, in 2012, a, uh, a disappointment hit me, and I'll spare you the details because it would be another 40 minutes and a quite dull 40 minutes. But be- and now I know it's because I put so much hope in my circumstance and in people that this disappointment just crushed me beyond almost to complete despair in 2012. And I was at my heaviest I'd ever been. And I thought, I cannot eat one more pizza. Can't cuss in here. Um, I can't eat one more pizza. Um, I can't cover this up. There's nothing that will cover this up. And I think now, by the grace of God, I hit. that was my bottom. That was because I was... I'm going to read the bedevilments because that's really what brought me into these rooms. Um, It says, we were having trouble. This is from the big book. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of any real help to other people. Uh, We couldn't be of real help to other people. And that's what brought me into these rooms. I go- at that point, at that time of, in 2012, I Googled support groups. And I found a lot, a lot of, there were, obviously, Google, there was a lot of responses, <laughs> a lot of answers. And I found therapists that did support groups, and I found, you know, some of my friends were in support groups. And so I emailed people, I talked to people. And I also landed on a 12-step program. And I don't remember which 12-step program I 
initially landed on, but I ultimately ended up on OA, which was one that, that resonated with me. And and as I said, I think I have a during list ability. So uh, when I took the little quiz, are you a compulsive? I killed it. And I was like, <laughs> where were these tests when I was in high school? Because this is awesome, I guess. And... Um, and so I went to my first meeting, and the first meeting I ended up in a financial meeting for the church that I went to, which was not where I was supposed to be. I walked in, and there was a greeter, and the greeter said, the me- are you here for the meeting? And I said, I am. And I'm thinking, I hope the to you means the same thing to you as me, for the meeting, because it's anonymous. So I, she said, it's up the stairs to the right. So I went up the stairs to the right, went into the room, and there was this long table and they had potato chips and they had muffins and they had soda and I'm like I thought it was going to be cottage cheese and soda this is awesome <laughs> so we're sitting there and then the, the parent leader sat down and said I appreciate your investment in the financial thing of the church and I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> so I went to my next meeting which was a men's gay stag meeting <laughs> and I walk in and there's there were a lot of guys and I'm thinking there's something amiss again <laughs> and so I just excuse myself and then I looked at the little the little roster of meetings and it said men's gay stag and I'm like you buffoon could you read the pay more attention to the details <laughs> then I landed the Tuesday night meeting at the cottage and that was my home meeting and what I mean by home meeting was uh, one of my favorite authors Anne Lamott she says that if you're kind and if you pay attention you breed a place of comfort and that is what I found in that meeting. And the, my fellows, which is you guys, were so kind to me. And I, I showed up to those rooms, and I just cried. I just cried. I would start to share, and I would cry. And one of the fellows had just come back from a relapse, and she has an abstinent date that is very close to mine. And I would have never, I thought she had been in program because of her wisdom and her kindness and her recovery. I thought she'd been in there, I thought she'd been in recovery forever. And I just remember thinking, I felt so safe because people were kind and people paid attention. And one of my favorite things, again, was that I had three minutes and I could talk or I could not talk. If I got called on, I could talk or not talk. Nobody could interrupt me. Nobody could... It was mine. And in fact, sometimes I wanted to go ahead and talk. I wasn't used to not being interrupted. And I just sat in those rooms, and I just kind of soaked it in, and I was a bit confused. Um, I mean, you know, it, it takes a while to get used to. But what I heard about was abstinence and sponsorship. And um, abstinence, you know, I felt behind when I walked in because people already had days. And I didn't have any days. I didn't even really know what that meant, but I knew I didn't have any. And so I thought, well, I have to get days. I want to start counting days. And um, and so I, I didn't realize that for my story was that I, my abstinence started to work when I got a sponsor. But I didn't realize that. So I just tried to set my own abstinence. And I set my abstinence that there was no, I couldn't drink alcohol. And I could not, um, what's my other, I uh, couldn't. You can't tell me. Um, no alcohol, and I could only eat when I was hungry. So, and this lasted about 40 minutes. <laughs> because I did not know, I couldn't tell when I was hungry. I, so, I'm like, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? I'm, uh, it, so I just broke it. So it didn't work. 
So I thought, okay, I'm going to pay more attention to the sponsor thing. And so they said, so they said, you guys said, figure out what you want, find somebody who has it, and ask them if they'll show you how to get it. And um, figure out what you want was like such an exercise in self-care. Because to think, what do I want? What do I want? And now I have different words for it, but then I wanted, I wanted to be at a healthy body weight, which those weren't my words. I wanted to be thinner. Um, I wanted to feel better physically. And I wanted relief from the pain that I was in because I was in such tremendous pain. And I felt like, until I came into these rooms, I felt like nobody understood. And so just thinking about what I wanted was a huge uh, relief to me. And so I, I looked around and I found a couple of people that seemed to have what I wanted and I kind of stopped them because I wanted to find out if they really did, if they really had it. And so I wanted somebody who, and I wanted to lose weight and maintain it because I had lost weight, I could lose weight. Um, I could do that. I couldn't keep it off. I wanted to keep it off. I wanted sanity. I remember thinking, I don't want to think about food all the time. I don't want to wrestle with every meal. And so, and so I wanted to be able to keep it off. I didn't want to be on a diet. Um, I wanted to have some peace. I was full of fear. I was so afraid that I was going to end up in a vat of depression and waste away. And so I found a couple of people that I thought I had that had what I wanted. And so I listened to their podcasts. I called them. I texted them a little bit. And then the gal that I ultimately asked to be my sponsor, she went to the Tuesday night meeting as well. And I asked her, not on a Tuesday, I messaged her. It's irrelevant. But I said, will you be my sponsor? And she said, let's talk Tuesday. And I'm like, oh, hell, just just say yes or no. <laughs> so I met up with her Tuesday, and we talked a little bit. And uh, we talked a little bit, and then she said, okay, I said, okay, so are you going to sponsor me? And she said, well, call me on Thursday. And I'm thinking, I'm going to call you on Thursday. You tell me. So then, okay, I'll call you on Thursday. So I called her on Thursday, and I didn't ask if she was my sponsor. I just called her. And so she neglected to tell me she neglected to tell me that it was a 15 minute call so like at 14 minutes she's like okay well we gotta wrap it up and I'm thinking I'm in so much pain you're gonna cut me off at 15 minutes <laughs> yep I am alright so so that was the beginning of our relationship and I remember thinking she's not doing it like I want her to do it because I wanted to curl up in a ball and I wanted her to say it's gonna be okay and I wanted her to be so excited to hear from me. <laughs> and I wanted her to... She, and by the grace of God, by the grace of God, she did it her way. Because the way I did it... You know, these meetings are fun, but the way I've been doing it got me to these meetings. And so obviously, my way wasn't working. And so she did it her way. And I had to work through so much, which... Um, which it was a, is a tremendous blessing, and it was hard at first. And I think, you know, I think she practiced tough love on me, which I was grateful for. And so we started to do step work, and I, I won't go through all the steps. But one of my favorite steps, one of the assignments that she gave me was, she said, "Will you make a list of if God could, if God could do and be 
anything, what would you have him do and be? And one of the things that I put on there, because I thought I understood by now, because I've been in program for like three months. I thought, well, we're not going to talk about the things on the list. We're not going to talk about that until like four or five. So I'm going to put, I'm going to be honest on the list. So I put on there that I wanted God, if he could do and be anything, I wanted him to relieve me of the shame and the guilt over some of the stuff I'd done. And I didn't list the things. I just put that I wanted to be relieved of the pain of that. And a Porsche, I think, was on my list as well. And so I had my list, and I went over to her house, and I read her my list. And she skimmed right by the Porsche thing, and then she said, what is it that you want God to relieve you of? What are the painful things that you want him to relieve you of? And I'm like, no. No, 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 it's not. This is not the step where we talk about those things. And she said, it is. She said, and I remember that, like never in my life, a wave of heat washed over me, and I could barely talk. And I thought, I'm not a pastor outer, but I'm going to pass out. And and I remember thinking, I'm just going to say the next word that I can say. And she said to me, she said, Amy, where were you when this happened? And she started asking me questions that I could answer. She said, where were you? And who were you with? She didn't even know what we were talking about. She just started asking me things, and I could answer that. I could say so-and-so was with me. I could say it was here. I could say it was this time of day. And she asked me these very basic questions. And today she will say, that was God. That was not me. And we got there. We got to what it was that, that I thought I would take to the grave with me. And there were maybe two things. And her love and care for me changed my world. And, you know, I, I trust my sponsor. I trust my fellows. But my trust is in my higher power. And the whole thing about... Um, you know, my higher power is a he, my higher power is God, but all of ours, as many people are in this room, we all have unique higher powers. And the idea that I could put my trust and hope in a power that is greater than I was such a relief. And it's not in my sponsor, it's not in my fellows, it's not in these meetings, it's in my higher power. And my higher power uses these things to bring about his will and his freedom in my life. And so we got through um, so that was one of my favorite my favorite it, it ended up being one of my favorite and most life changing things was to be rid of some shame that I had carried around for many many years and again I was just so grateful that she did it her way because that would not have been my way and um, in this program I have experienced self care one of the things that came up in program was my sponsor asked me, I don't know how it came up, I think I had a cold or something, and she said, well, you probably should go to, the doc- go to your doctor. And I'm like, your doctor? I don't have a your doctor. And she said, well, what do you, who do you go see annually? And I'm like, nobody. Santa Claus. I go, who do I go see annually? And she said, she said so you haven't had an annual and uh, whatever that means to anybody. And I, said, and I said, no. She said, okay. So she said, maybe call your doctor today and just call your doctor. And I thought, I would say to somebody, okay, I get the food thing. I get that it's hard, but you're, you, can't, you have not called a doctor in 15 years. It had probably been 12 years since I'd seen a doctor. And she didn't say that. She just said, call the doctor. She didn't say, call a doctor and get an appointment and go see the doctor and go see what they have to say and get the exam and da, da, da. She said, call the doctor. And I did. And I called the doctor, and I made an appointment, and then I went to see her, and she said, well, I haven't done a mammogram on you this year. 
And I'm thinking, you've never seen me in my life. No, you haven't seen me. So she said, in a very loving way, she said, you have two weeks. I want to see you in two weeks, and I want you to have had a mammogram. You know, she gave me all the paperwork um, by the time I see you. And I do well with deadlines. And so I uh, went and had a mammogram, and then I went back because they said they did it wrong, or they thought they did it wrong. And so I went back and... and yeah, they did it again. Then I went back because they wanted to do a little biopsy, and then they called and they said it's positive. And so I had been in program for about a year. And she said, "You have breast cancer. You need to meet with the uh, the surgeon." And so I met with the surgeon, and we were sitting in her office. And she said, "Amy, if we were sitting here a year from now, we would have be having a very different conversation." And if that's not a power greater than myself, then I I'm out. I don't know what is. And and so I went. I had two surgeries. I had chemo for six weeks. And I, went, I didn't have a tremendous amount of fear because I had you guys. I mean, you guys showed up. You guys texted me. when I had to leave my phone in, in my car, ultimately, because I would forget to turn it off, and then I'd be in chemo, and my phone would be blowing up. You know, you can do this. You, you know, and it was just... <coughs> Amazing, amazing, to say the least. And I was going into one my first surgery. They were had me on the little bed thing, and they were wheeling me in. I had not been anesthetized yet, and that they were about to, to wheel me in where nobody else could go. And a friend of mine said, she said, don't check out. Be there for yourself. And in that moment, it was like she yanked me back because I was thinking, I'm going into surgery. I'm about to get anesthesia. And so I was ready to check out. I was, uh, and in that moment, I thought I can be here for myself. And so I went through the surgery, and it was there was there were no. It was just same day. Um. And so it really, and I still didn't have a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, I had sadness, and when I was going through chemo, I went to, um. I had an amazing tech, and about I went every day for six weeks except for the weekends. And and my last week, I went in and I was on the little radiation thing. Did I say chemo? No, radiation. I was on the on the treatment thing, and I just burst into tears. And but you can't burst into tears because you're not supposed to move. So I'm just sitting there, just you know. And the tech came in and she said, "Oh my goodness, what's wrong?" And she said. Let's finish up and meet me in the quiet room. And I went in there and she said, and she had tears. And she said, Amy, she said, this is common because you're almost done treating what you've been fighting. And, you know, a year before that, I hardly knew what I was feeling, let alone to experience. And it was just sweet tears. It was just, it, it was a lot. And... You know, and I had people to call and people to talk to and people that called me. You guys called me. You guys talked to me. You guys helped me. Um, I want to read something on page 75, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to read it. Um, and so the gift of learning self-care, because that started with, will you call, just call your doctor today? And who knows what, what would have happened. I don't know. Um, 
But in the big book on 75, page 75, it says, We begin to feel a nearness to our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. And I did have beliefs. My grandparents, who were my safe haven, taught me about a higher power. Taught me about a power that was greater than I, that cared for me, that was crazy about me. And I believed those things, but a lot got in the way. And there were times in in my life that I did have a break, that I did kind of rely on a power greater than I, and it gave me some relief, but it, it, it didn't, I didn't lay my life on it. And coming into these rooms, I learned that I can lay it down. And only then do I have peace and sanity. And I would start, I began to, you know, it says we begin to have our own spiritual experience, and I began to have that. Um, and so the self-care thing was big for me. Um, so I was in these rooms, and then, you know, today I went for a little run, and it made me think about what it's like now, because, uh, so I came into the rooms July of 2012. I got abstinent August 30th, 2012. So it's almost been, almost been two years. And, um... I'm just going to tell you about my day today because in in telling you what it's like now that uh, so today I had a call with somebody at eight uh, at eight am and this friend was a friend of mine in Northern California who I've known for probably twenty something years and she uh, we had a conversation because last week she invited me on a trip to Uganda in November and she does work with an organization there and um, she asked me if I wanted to go. Now, the fact that she asked me that I wanted to go was, uh, in and of itself, you know, huge. Because I could barely show up for my life in the, you know, now, let alone somebody thinking, oh, you know, I'll see if Amy wants to go with me. So we had a call. And, you know, and, and I almost said honestly, as if I would do any, uh, <laughs> the other, other stuff has not been honest, but... Um, honestly, I would have thought, if I go to Uganda, they're not going to have the food I want. They're not going to have anything that I want. And it really is about me. So, no, I'm not going to Uganda. And I don't know if I'm going to Uganda, but the, the fact that, that, that that's programmed, that I'm invited, that I am entertaining the thought. And, I don't, and the fact that I don't know what that means and that I would still have a conversation. Because before I would have thought, well, why would I have a conversation if I don't know if I'm going to go? Um, so we had a conversation, and then after after that call, I went to a meeting, and, you know, we've heard it, you know, people say it works if you work it, and I don't really know why it works. I don't know how it works, but, but the sanity that I have today, the sanity that I'm getting in increasing measure, not every day increasing, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't go like that, but... Uh, the things that, that I'm doing is going to a meeting and calling fellows and speaking, regardless of how I feel about it. Um, that's what gives me sanity, and that's what makes it clear, thank you, um, that I can relinquish my my will to a higher power. So I went to the meeting, and and somebody there totally annoyed me, and I thought, could you get over yourself? And, you know, it's just there's always room 
for gross. I don't want to be bothered by people. I mean, I don't want to be, not that I don't want to be bothered, but I think, really? But is it all about you that you're bothered that whatever, that person did whatever? And then I came home. I had an abstinent lunch. I went, uh, and then I went for a run, which I am not a runner. I've never been a runner, um, but I like goals, and so I, I did this couch to 5K thing because I want to be healthy, and I want to try to be healthy. And so so I, so I signed up for a run on 4th of July, and today was to do a long run, and I'm like, it's not a good day for a long run. I have a lot to do today. <laughs> but I went for a run, and out on the run, I, I put one headset, I mean, one little earpiece in, and I don't have it on in the other one because I like to hear the cars. I like to hear, I just like, like to hear other stuff and and the one thing that I like to hear is my breath and because I can tell by my breathing if I'm going to make it another foot or not and that is the first indication of if I'm if I need to slow down and sometimes I think well you can't slow down anymore since you're going to be walking so um but my breath can tell me almost immediately and I could before I would be no more aware of my breath than the sun in the sky. I just was not aware. And it can, and, you know, the fact that it is my indication of whether I'm going to, how I'm doing is such a gift. Um, and so that I went, I went for the run and then I called some fellows. I called my sponsor and did a little prep work for today, tonight. And I came here. And I met with the sponsee. And, you know, I am beyond measure grateful for you guys, for my higher power, for this program. And, you know, like when I said I was going to share what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, it used to be that I would look at what it was like, and I just would glance at it and not want to spend much time there. And, but today I'm grateful for those things because... If, if not for those things, my story would be different today. And I really wouldn't change a thing for today. Um, so with that, I have a few minutes for questions. Not sure about answers. But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what does my abstinence look like? Uh, my abstinence, the big book, my sponsor and I talked about this. You know, abstinence is maintaining or working toward a healthy body weight. So for me, it's no binging. Um, my food plan is is big for me. Uh, my food plan is three meals a day, optional snacks, which options. I always like to take those options. Um, but, you know, the beauty of it is that I have found that if I snack, you know, an abstinence and food plans, I always want to tread very lightly because we all have our own but um, if I snack sometimes it makes my head freaking crazy because I feel like oops, because uh, I said freaking because <laughs> because then I feel like I'm eating all day and I'm grazing and I'm never getting away from um, food so my abstinence is no binging uh, the question is talk about maintenance versus working towards a healthy body weight how do you maintain a healthy body weight um, you know, my doctor, now I have a doctor, my doctor <laughs> and my sponsor helped me determine if I am at a healthy body weight. And then 
if I am in maintenance. You know, it was tricky for me. I asked a lot of people what they did to maintain because it was a difficult distinction for me. And especially when I introduced um, exercise, because when I'm exercising, then I do need, my body requires more calories. And um, I weigh once a week because I have, I have no ability. You know, people say that they can tell by their clothes how their clothes fit, or they can just tell, and they can nail their weight by, you know, a pound or two. And I cannot. The dryer just gets in so much trouble. Like, if my pants are tight, I'll be 40 pounds heavier, and it'll be like the dryer just... <laughs> um, so I weigh once a week, and it used to be, I'll possibly be adding myself, but I used to weigh three times, and then I would take the number that was the same twice, and my sponsor is like, sister, that is a tad compulsive. So I weigh once, and because that brings me peace of mind. I've gotten to where, to say I don't care about that number is a bit lofty, but um, it brings me peace of mind because I am afraid that I am going to wake up heavy and miserable. And there's only so much damage I can do in a week. And if I if somehow trick my sponsor, the, I'm not going to be able to trick, and trust me, I'm not going to trick her, but, uh, oh, so maintenance. So I do, I weigh, and that helps me. Um, if I'm exercising a lot, then I do up my calories a little bit. And I don't count calories, so by that I just mean I have a little bit more protein. And the beauty of it is I, can, I do know my body. I know when I am craving, when it's a, it's a healthy craving. If I'm craving more chicken, trust me, it's not, you know, a compulsive craving. So did I answer your question? Thank you. On a good day? On a good day. What is my, <laughs> on my, on a, what is my morning routine? Um, on a good day, you know, and sometimes we say we work it imperfectly, which for me, that means I, one out of ten is good. But um, what I really strive for is doing a reading, doing a, a program reading, do a scriptural reading, and praying and meditating, which is, like I, I used to pray, but I meditating, I didn't so much do. And so, so ideally... I spend some time in meditation and prayer. Just being quiet helps me tremendously. Necessary, she knows. Thank you. Am I ever afraid of falling off the wagon? Yes, I am. And I'm on a couple wagons. So, uh, so if I, uh, but in seriousness, if because it's all the same wagon for me, um, I do. I I do have. And some of my fellows say it's it's a healthy fear of falling off the wagon. And again, what I love is that I just show up today, and I do what I know to do. I can go to a meeting. I can put one foot after the other and sit my sorry tail in a seat and go to a meeting. And I can call a fellow and ask them how they're doing. And you don't even have to mean it. I mean, you end up, I end up meaning it by the end of the conversation. Um, but. And that's it. That, you know, I seriously, I do end up meaning it by the end of the conversation, or even just. So yes, I do, and uh, the things in the program help me. Did I struggle getting abstinent in the beginning? I did um, because I set my own abstinence, and um, so that I was just re- I was reeling. I didn't. I hardly knew my name, let alone 
And I remember right after I set my absence, I went on a family trip to San Diego, and it was like, oh, yeah, that's going to work. Um, so, but well, that was in July. And then when I talked, when I got my sponsor, uh, and then we set my abstinence, then it was hard. It was hard. But but I was so um, con- so happy having some structure and having someone just shore up the dam that it that I did have. Uh, it went pretty well. It went pretty well. Right. The question is, how did I allow myself to be thinner, and how did I allow the weight to go? Um, you know, there was a protection element to the weight, and but I was in I was in such misery. I was so uncomfortable that that really just eating it. Thank you. That uh, eating as I should eat, eating as as my body was designed to eat. Um, it really wasn't a struggle for me to to you know it didn't it happened quickly, but it didn't really happen. It is so daily that it just kind of came off as it should, and it wasn't a struggle for me. Um, I was in such emotional pain that I almost didn't even pay attention to the weight. I just ate what I was supposed to eat, and I don't know if that answers it. It, it wasn't It wasn't so hard for me to let that go, um, but we can talk more about it. That's it.